Welcome to the Capstone SimCast. I'm Heather Cole. And I'm Holly Stokely. We are both nurses and SIM specialists at the Capstone College of Nursing. Each episode, we will explore a new topic related to healthcare simulation. Join us as we dive into the world of simulation. Welcome back to our journal club. Today, we have pulled articles on debriefing to discuss with y'all today. Um, as we all know, debriefing is one of those things we do with our students at the end of simulation, and it's a very good time for the students to talk about how they felt it went, how they felt during the simulation, how they prioritized what they did. And this is really where a lot of our clinical judgment is developed when it comes to simulation. It's in that debriefing session. And so today, the article I pulled is Debriefing Approaches for High Fidelity Simulations and Outcomes Related to Clinical Judgment in Baccalaureate Nursing Students. This was published in 2019, and I was looking for where, Australian, is that Australian College of Nursing? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Is where this was published So the goal of this study was to compare two different debriefing approaches with nursing students' clinical judgment, looking at specifically patient deterioration. So they looked at plus delta model, um, a self-assessment with plus delta, and then guided reflection using the RESPOND tool. They... The question they were really asking here is, does reflection versus self-assessment in debriefing improve situational awareness in patient deterioration simulations? So this was carried out over a 12-week course. Over 12 weeks, it was done in a critical care course, which I think is important uh, to know. And they, students participated in three different simulations. The first one was an intra-abdominal hemorrhage secondary to a cardiac cath. They did a sepsis simulation, and the third situation they did was a trauma. So they did the intra-abdominal hemorrhage. They kind of did at the midpoint of the course, and then the last two were done towards the end of the course. Um, The students were grouped in five to six where they had three who actively participated and three who observed. And then they swapped places, which I thought was an interesting approach for sure. Um, One of the things they discussed, and this is just kind of a sidebar, was the simulation, the first simulation they did was about 20 to 30 minutes long with a 30 minute debrief. And then the other simulations were 30 to 45 minute long with a 60 minute debrief. So, And that, to me, for some reason, stood out, I think, because we know that technically, by the standards, you want your debriefing to be a one to two where your debriefing is twice as long. That's also very difficult to do from an instructor standpoint. I don't know if you feel the same. Absolutely. It's really hard to debrief for the whole hour for a 30 minute simulation and be able to turn over your room and get the, just with the model that we use or the, you know, you're constant, you have another Mm -hmm. group coming in. um, So you're kind of pushed for time. True. And if your facility is not set up with actual debriefing rooms, I think it makes it a little harder as well. 
or if they're on a separate floor or on a, you know, because we kind of use rooms that we have available. Absolutely. Um, So they use the situational awareness global assessment technique um, where they would interrupt the simulation and ask a series of just very quick, fast-paced, but short answer questions about the situation. Um, So it relied on their participant responses. Um, And then what they really found with this was that there really wasn't a major difference in that situational awareness between the two groups. Um, So they had 126 students who participated. They had 21 groups, um, 11 who did the respond, and then 10 who did the plus delta debriefings. Um, And, you know, the groups, they said that they were pretty much balanced from a demographic standpoint except for gender, which I think we see that a lot just because of the population that nursing is, um, where it is mostly female. Um, But one of the things that I really found very interesting um, with their findings was that based on the study, that students' expectations for the scenarios were fixed. So they already came, they already had like this preconceived idea of what was going to happen. So, and then they focus their attention looking for those specific cues. To me, that was kind of surprising that they would that students kind of had this fixed idea of what was going to happen and I'm not sure if that's based on maybe previous maybe it was based on previous experience with the simulation or maybe it was based on a sim that was similar that they were doing um, or if that was kind of based on maybe the information they were given as a pre-brief that's what I was kind of thinking like it could have been from their prep work um, yeah because I know with our with one of our simulations we talk about complications with giving blood right like a transfusion reaction so it's almost like they expect that um now some may or may not or that may not even be what we do anymore but i think that we do that in our prep work um Mm -hmm. but it may have been that they focused on the complications of you know what are some of the things that you would look for with sepsis or Mm -hmm. in a trauma what is your you know your process so that could be why students were kind of looking um one of the things that i thought was interesting was that there were no consistencies of scores across all three scenarios so i think faculty or the the you know researchers really thought that student scores would improve Mm-hmm. over time or they would maybe catch on to different things that they wanted to that they needed to pay attention to but it said students really didn't seem to apply previous knowledge from mm-hmm. other simulations so I thought that was interesting because I would have thought that there would have been like a gradual improvement over time especially with the theories that we use in well, simulation I would have thought that as well mm-hmm. that there would be improvement Especially if the students came in with this very, you know, if students had this kind of fixed expectation mm-hmm. um, that there would be improvement. 
this this makes me think about um we've talked about repeating simulation Mm -hmm. when you know maybe the scenario doesn't go the way it's supposed to or maybe the students don't pick up on things that they're supposed to pick up on as quickly as we would like um and there is there was an article and i'll also put that kind of in the show notes but um there was an article that talked about debrief or repeating simulation um, and the importance of keeping students in the same roles. So I would like to know where students in different roles, like we talked about how half were, right. Half were observers and half were the actual participants in the simulation. Um, but this article referenced how students performed better when they could actually stay in the role of the assessment nurse or the intervention nurse um, when they're repeating simulations. So that that might be something that they needed to look into. I know in our institution, we don't have an observer role. We don't. Um, and I'm finding that that's more common than I thought it was. Really? I've had a lot of people or a lot of faculty that I've met at conferences say, we wouldn't be able to get all of our students through simulation if we didn't have you know half of the group observing because... I mean, we just don't have the bandwidth to get that many right. students well, through. Some, some programs have a very large number of students that right, they yeah. admit, so I can see, um, I can see why that, how that would help them for sure. Right. Um, but I wonder if if they were to do smaller groups of, I know our largest group that we ever run is like four. Yeah. So if we were to keep those same four students and keep them in the same roles for those three simulations, I wonder if we would see an improvement in their clinical judgment, but that's just a side note. <laughs> that That's an interesting side note because we actually encourage our students to take a role they haven't had before. Right. Exactly. So I wonder if it would make a difference. Yeah. Um, but, and I know everyone fights over charge nurse. They're like, I don't want to be the charge nobody nurse. Wants to be, they don't want to have to pick up the phone and right. call the physician. Who wants to call the physician? When they know it's their instructor, right, and they're they're already anxious enough, it's see we're going right back to a psychological safety mm-hmm. here. Exactly, it's right back to exactly. psychological safety. So the other thing that I thought was interesting is the faculty that were debriefing the um, the faculty that were debriefing. It said that they did not know the skill set of their debriefers. And so they're having, they have two different debriefing methods or methods of debriefing, yet they did not train their debriefers in each method. Um, so it was also questioned if that Im- impacted in some way the outcomes of this study. So it would be nice to know the demographic or the demographics of the debriefer and the experience that they had. You know, did faculty have three years of experience versus 15 or, you know, that was, that's interesting to me. I'm always looking at the, the professional development kind of side of things, but I think that's something that you definitely have to consider, um, in your study. Right. Um, the debriefers, however, were assigned to very specific, like the debriefer who did the plus Delta only debrief those. And those were mm-hmm. recorded because it said the researchers actually went back and watched those, uh, recordings. Right, right. Um, so I thought that was like a nice, uh, some internal 
consistency there that the researchers went back and kind of watched that debriefing to verify that they were using the correct right. model of debrief. Absolutely. So I like that a lot. Yeah. That was kind of one of those um, safeguards or, yeah. you know, the trustworthiness of the study. But mm -hmm. I did like that. So kind of seg I guess that kind of segues into mine, which was published in Clinical Simulation in Nursing in 2022 and its implications of the Dunning-Kruger effect, finding balance between subjective and objective assessment in debriefing professional development. I told you I'm into professional development. You, so <laughs> our podcast was initial and initially, and I think it still is, our podcast is all about professional development. Yeah, getting and, it out there. Right. Um, so just a little bit about the Dunning-Kruger effect. So this is the difference in a self-assessment versus a objective assessment um, from someone else. So this is when a self-assessment is rated a lot higher than say an objective assessment. If Holly were to watch me debrief someone and I rated myself as the absolute best and Holly was like, well, you might need to improve this or this or this. So that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, but this study is looking at the differences in assessment of debriefers. Um, there were 52 debriefers. The desired sample size was 46 and there were 81 debriefing sessions recorded overall. Um, this was a descriptive study. It was a multi-site study and they used the debriefing for meaningful learning as their debriefing framework. Um, and we know that it increases clinical reasoning, it increases clinical judgment, and it is not known how these newly trained debriefers self-assess their use of the debrief, debriefing for meaningful learning. Um, so what they did, or what the researchers did, they had a four-hour in-person training for this debriefing. After they facilitated and recorded their debriefing sessions with their own personal students. So they left, they went to their own facilities or institutions and recorded their debriefing sessions. Um, participants assessed their own debriefing directly after their debriefing and two weeks after. So that's kind of important to know. And they used the uh, DM. LES, which is a um, debriefing for meaningful learning evaluation scale. So that was rated by the personal debriefer, like a self-assessment, but it was also used by the debriefer that, or the person that was kind of overseeing the debriefer and providing that assessment. But there were no differences in the debriefer's personal, um, personal assessment or subjective assessment immediately following the debrief and two weeks after. Um, but the debriefer's subjective evaluation was actually higher than the expert um, objective evaluation. And there were statistically significant results there. So it definitely, um, it definitely supports the Dunning-Kruger effect in that we think that we perform a lot better than we actually do as debriefers. And I will be the first one to admit, I, I think I'm a, a fairly decent debriefer. Right. But 
I've also never had any formal training in debriefing. Right, right. And if I were to have formal training and then evaluate myself, mm-hmm. it, it would probably not be as high right. for sure. I was like, oh, wow, I need to, a lot of improvement here somewhere. Which goes into our professional development. See, it is a full <laughs> circle. Um, so the conclusion of this study, you know, we cannot really rely on self-reports only. It's very important to be self-aware and to do your own self-assessment at the end of the day. Um, but it also kind of leads to an absence of motivation to change. So if I think that my debriefing method is 100% and fantastic, there's no way that I'm going to feel like I need more professional development or that I need further training. Um, and I think that's one of the things I probably struggle with personally because I'm like, I don't know enough. I don't ever feel like I know enough and mm-hmm. I always want to know more. But it was those self-reports. If you feel like you're 100%, you're not really going to be motivated to change. Right. Um, and then it was also, you know, kind of a conclusion was that we can use this evaluation tool as a guide for novice debriefers. Of course, this is for the debriefing for meaningful learning Um debrief specifically. Mm -hmm. But if you're using that method in your institution, I think it would be wonderful to have, have that there for, you know, your quarterly or yearly evaluations of your faculty. Another interesting aspect of this would be, what if the students evaluated the debrief? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I would love Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, well, I can't say that. I don't know if I would love to see an evaluation <laughs> the students wrote of me in my debriefing, um, but I don't. And I don't even think I've read an article that evaluates where a student has evaluated debriefers. I don't think I've seen one in my search. You might have. I feel like there is a tool. Um, I feel like there is a tool for students to evaluate debriefing but that's something that we could add into our evaluation of our simulation so that students do have the opportunity to really focus on the debrief that'd be fabulous i want i need to look at this tool now i know okay now i want to go look at this tool we may have to go (laughs) break out the computers here in a second to go find that um i think all in all you know those of us who work with simulation a lot understand the value and the importance of a debrief. Um, and I think this alone just tells us, I think just even both of them, even with the, you know, the article I had not necessarily showing any st- statistical significance across groups, but it does just reiterate the value of a debrief and the amount of learning and critical thinking and critical judgment that's developed during that time period for our students. Absolutely. Um, 